the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now, your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. 6.04 p.m. on uh, Thursday, October the uh, the 12th, and uh, here we are, live and local. You know, we canceled all programming this week that we had scheduled so that we can do everything we could about Israel. You know, it's it's not going away anytime soon here in the city. Mike just got noticed that my son's school is canceled tomorrow, my young son's school, and we're going remote. So I have a very special guest on for the whole show, reporting from Jerusalem, where he's been all week, Mitchell Barak. Let's get right to it. All right, folks, welcome to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. I am very, very lucky. We're all very, very lucky to have our next guest on. He's thanks to my friend and our friend who's been on all week helping us, Shai Franklin. This is a friend of uh, Shai's, Mitchell Barak, who is in Israel. He's called an Israeli-American public opinion expert by the Wall Street Journal. His opinions and his surveys have been quoted hundreds of times by leading publications like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and many others. He also appears regularly as a political analyst on the BBC, Al Jazeera, Russia Today, and others. He recently joined Bipartisan Solutions, a D.C.-based public affairs and government relations company, as director of polling and public affairs. Welcome to the Idala Power Hour, Mitchell Barak. How are you, my friend? Well, we're doing great here. I mean, you know, I guess. It's hard to describe, but, uh, you know, physically we're here, and uh, mentally we're kind of not, and emotionally we're certainly not doing well here. Well, but, you know, uh, you're... Other than that, we're, we're grateful for what we got, and uh, we're going to keep moving forward. Tell us a little bit about the mood and the feelings in, in your country. I mean, over here, they're comparing it to, you know, uh, how we felt the days after the September 11, 2001 attacks. Is, is that the same air no, of... I, I mean... Look, to, to, to give you a perspective on it, it would be like if you'd be in New York City on September 11th, and they would also get the Empire State Building and Shea Stadium and the George Washington Bridge. And you need to triple or quadruple the number of people killed or wounded. I mean, that's the magnitude of what went on here. And not to take away from anyone suffering from 9-11, just in the sheer numbers of people compared to the population, but also in the various places that were attacked in the massacres that took place, both on army bases, in Israeli cities, through rockets, uh, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Steyrot, and then in the communities around the Gaza Strip on the Israeli side were decimated, meaning hundreds and hundreds of people killed, as well as the at least 260 concert goers who were killed, and then, you know, a hundred, probably this 
200 hostages taken in total. That's, that's a, I don't think there's any real precedent for that anywhere in the world that I can think of where so many people were not only uh, were taken hostage into enemy territory. It's not like they were held, being held where they are. They're taken into enemy territory, which should not have happened. Well, well, since you mentioned it, it should not have happened, Mitchell, it's been reported that, widely reported, that even after help signals went out, it was sometimes hours before people got help from our side of, of the Atlantic over here. You know, we look at Israel as having one of the, the most elite response teams on the planet Earth, and it seems like that was not the case uh, over this past weekend. Is there a uh, explanation for that? Well, you know, partially because it was a holiday weekend, you know, just like the Yom Kippur War started on Yom Kippur, because many people were at home and praying and fasting and so forth. This happened on a Saturday or Shabbat morning, which was also Simchat Torah, yeah, which was, was a holiday. So not only is it a holiday, it's the end of the holiday cycle here. As anyone in New York knows, the holiday cycle starts with Rosh Hashanah, then we have Yom Kippur, and then the seven or eight day festival of Sukkot, which ends with Simchat Torah. So there's sort of like an ending here that people are finishing up this holiday season, which is a lot of celebration, but it's also you know difficult to function on a regular way because kids are off of school, uh, people are on vacation. So the last day is kind of like the last hurrah of the holiday, and a lot of people were home in order to do that. And then we start what's called the winter here. You know, the winter season and the fall is winter, and people you know buckle down and get to work until usually Hanukkah time, which is in December. So a lot of people were at home, meaning I have two soldiers, both of whom were home. That This was the first time that both of them were home together in seven or eight weeks. When you say you have two soldiers, tell me what you mean, Mitchell Burke. Uh, we have eight kids. So we're very blessed and a very big family. There's always a lot of action here. And my two oldest boys are in the Army. One is already about three years into the Army, a little less than three years. He's about to finish his service. He's in the tank corps in a logistical position, which is embedded in a, a combat unit. And my other one is in the Golani Brigade, which is an infantry brigade. And he started about six, seven months ago. Mitchell, is there so, any indication that there was any breakdown in communications that delayed response? Response to these attacks? No, the communications were excellent. Meaning we were woken up in the morning at 8 o'clock because there was a siren outside in Jerusalem. There is not usually a siren, and there's you know not so many cars and people on the street at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. As soon as we heard that siren, we all turned on our phones, even though it was Shabbat, because there were, it did indicate that there should be some emergency. At first, they thought it was a mistake because there was one time that even, I think, on Shabbat that it went off as a mistake. And as soon as we opened our phones, it said the government has announced preparation for war. So the first thing I did was wake up my two soldiers and said, get on your phones with your commanders and see what's going on. And already by 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, we all knew that they were going to be going back by 1 o'clock. 12, 1 o'clock, I drove them on Shabbat to the bus station in Talpiot in Jerusalem, and I wished them both well, and we got them out. And how long is it to get from, how long is it to get from Jerusalem to uh, to where the attacks were. Well, well, pro you know, probably in a, in a normal, probably within two hours you could be there. But you know, there weren't. You don't just send soldiers down there. They have to go to their base or get together with their unit and then go. So the first thing is, is to get to their base and go. And one, the, my uh, son in the tanks is up north, and you know we have a, a we have a border threat up there as well. And the other one went to his base, which is also up in the north, to wait to see what to do. So it wasn't the 
communication breakdown because today everyone's on WhatsApp. Meaning not only that, every kid in this neighborhood on Shabbat was already, you know, we were out in the streets talking to people. Everyone knew that they were going back and getting ready. So the, the ability to get there very quickly and to communicate and to get people back was incredible. And Mitchell, how old are your sons? I have one who's 21 and one who's 19 who's in the army. And I'm if, without so, getting too personal, like you know, how does your wife, their mother, handle? You know, sirens are going off. Your sons are now going. Yeah. They're running towards the danger, not running away from the danger. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you come to Israel, you're running towards danger, especially people like my wife and I who moved here, you're running towards danger, you know, because that's that's the nature of what this country is about. And we're under attack. There are people that want to annihilate us. So that's less of an issue, meaning when you when you have children in the army or when you serve in the army, you are you could be in danger. And it's very much in the psyche of the country is that they these that, you know, we have a Memorial Day, which is one of the most serious days of the year where everything stops. And everyone pays respects. And families who are affected on Yom HaZikaron Memorial Day are, you know, it's a very, very solemn day, which is followed immediately after Independence Day. It is a very important message. You can't have Independence Day without having Memorial Day. So it's very much ingrained into the national consciousness here and the collective experience. So you know when you bring when your children are going to the army that they are in a place that is dangerous and it could wind up that there's great tragedies there. But then on the other hand, there's a great responsibility in being able to defend the people of Israel, the country of Israel. You know, this is something coming from people that haven't had that opportunity in 2,000 years to be here and to defend themselves. Mitchell Barak, let me, let me ask you this question. I know you've been in Israel about 30 years, correct? Correct. Since the Gulf War. I came one week before the Gulf War, and I thought that was an intense time when we had to go into shelters and we had scud missiles falling uh, in the country. Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Is and I know you've, you've seen these types of attacks on Israel before. How does this compare to your experiences over three decades in Israel? Well, again, first of all, the last year has been unprecedented. And the last year, whereas I have been, not only was I in the Gulf War, I was studying here in Yeshiva my junior year off from George Washington University. I was studying in the Yeshiva in El Azar, which is in the Gush Etzion, West Bank, Judea and Samaria area. So I'm no, you know, stranger to terror or, you know, situations that are dangerous. You know, and then I came in the Gulf War. I was in for the, in, I, was, I was in for the second intifada. I was working for Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. I've been here for plenty of wars and plenty of attacks. I mean, it, this is unprecedented in terms of scale, in terms of deaths, but in terms of the enemy, the Hamas terrorist ability to shake us to our core, to our foundation, because what they did. Not only did they cross the border, they overtook military bases, they overtook communities and murdered and slaughtered people and burned them in their own homes. And then they took them hostage back to their territory over the border, meaning they crossed the border in 20 different locations without a problem and then crossed back with our people, with 200 of our people. So it, it is shaking the country to its core. The failure, the debacle, the inefficiency, incompetence, the unpreparedness, the disorganization is monumental. It's colossal. There's never been anything like it. We could have never imagined if they were successful in one community or one army base, it would be uh, unbelievable. 
the fact that they did it in so many, unhindered for seven, eight, ten hours, is unconscionable. Okay, folks, we got to take a quick break. We're going to come right back with Mitchell Barrick, who is in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. I'm super excited about the conversation I just had with Alex Kinsella over at Route 22 Toyota. He was catching me up on the landscape of the automotive industry, and I got to tell you, he really seems to have it figured out. Alex and his entire team over at Route 22 Toyota in Hillside, New Jersey, makes the entire car shopping experience easy. He let me know that while inventory levels are far from perfect, they finally got a nice selection of new cars over at Route 22 Toyota, including RAV4 and Highlanders. Plus, they're holding inventory inventory for local New Jersey residents versus selling them to people calling from out of state. Call Route 22 Toyota at 973-705-8905 and let the team show you one of the area's largest selections of new Toyota vehicles. And be sure to check out their huge selection of pre-owned and Toyota certified used vehicles while you're there. That's 973-705-8905. And remember to tell them that Joe Piscopo sent you. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. Whether you're an owner of one machine or have a fleet of hundreds, Esco Truck and Equipment can help with all your equipment needs. Whether it be purchase, lease, or rent the right machine to improve your business, Esco provides a full line of link belts, excavators, light equipment from Dynapack and Chicago Pneumatic, or handheld power tools from Steel. Esco Parts can stock an extensive inventory and retrieve parts quickly to minimize your downtime. If you break down in the Field and need a part, ESCO certified technicians will come to you on site to get you back to work quickly. ESCO is there for you every step of the way with regular maintenance inspections, service, and repair. Serving New York and New Jersey, call Joe E. Joe Eugenio, 718-504-2600 or go online to ESCOEquipment.com. That's E-S-S-C-O Equipment.com. ESCO is proud to celebrate Italian American Heritage Month. ESCO Truck and Equipment is a DeFazio company. Oil! From director Kevin Sorbo comes Miracle in East Texas. During the Great Depression, two aging con men peddling shares in worthless oil wells find more than they're looking for. Lotharians. He's talking about you. A tale of hope and redemption. A true hand-to-God miracle is what it is. Miracle in East Texas. Starring Kevin Sorbo, John Ratzenberger, Sam Sorbo, and Louis Gossett Jr. Rated PG. Rental guidance suggested. In theaters October 29th and 30th only. Go to MiracleInEastTexas.com you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. We all know that planning for the future is important. If you're not around, who will make decisions for you? Are your assets protected from probate and nursing home costs? The time to plan is now. Wills, trusts, power of attorneys, health care proxies, living wills, estate plan. How do you figure this out? Attend a Connors & Sullivan free seminar and have all of your questions answered by Mike Connors himself. Monday, October 16th at the Greenhouse Cafe on 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Tuesday, October 17th at Buckley's Restaurant Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Wednesday, October 18th at the Adrian 
Ontario Hotel, Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens, at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thursday, October 19th, at Conley's Corner, Grand Avenue in Maspeth, Queens, at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And Friday, October the 20th, at DeLucas Trattoria, 616 Forest Avenue, Staten Island, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. You can't make any of these multiple dates. Just call Connors and Sullivan for a free initial consultation at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. As Mike Connors always says, the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all. Listen to AM 970 The Answer on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, or odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Idala Power Hour. I am so excited, and this is such an informational session with Mitchell Barak, who is in Jerusalem right now. I read this morning here in New York that the, this attack has been planned over the last two years, but why is it eight to ten hours before Israel was able to respond? Was it just because of the location? Is it, we're also reading that Bibi Netanyahu had moved many of our forces, well, I say our forces, but your forces, to the West Bank. Is it the a holiday that you were just speaking of? Is it a little it's bit all of the above? It's a holiday. It's what you said is that, you know, we have a big problem in Judea and Samaria, a big threat there, because we have isolated communities there. I mean, that's that's the nature of the beast of settlements, is that we plant settlements and enlarge them and make illegal settlements. Why not? And we uh, let settlers kind of uh, argue or uh, get involved with the local population. And so when things can get heated up there, that's really the nightmare of, hey, what happens if everyone just overtakes a settlement? What happens if they start, you know, just attacking? So it does appear from what people have been saying, as you mentioned, that some of those units were not on the border where they should have been. But then the question is, why wasn't there a wall? And, you know, you talk in the United States about having a wall. There was no real wall. It was a fence. And it was a fence with a lot of technology that can detect, you know, anytime someone is trying to cross it. And there's an underground wall, which cost almost a billion dollars to make sure that they couldn't tunnel into the country. The big concern over the years was that they would dig these a tunnel that would go two or three or four kilometers inside to Israel and then they would just start piling in. But So that that's definitely one thing. The other thing, the reason that, that help was not gotten so quickly is first of all, they had a barrage of 2,000 rockets which, which blanketed the southern communities at the same time. That was sort of like a cover or a decoy for the people coming in. But you had firefights in the streets and Road in other communities where you couldn't just go down there because you didn't know what you what you're up against, and people didn't know that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, one of my son's commanders lives in Stay Road, and someone had called him on Saturday on Shabbat to say, "Hey, do we go back?" He says, "I can't. You know, I'm in the middle of fighting terrorists in my home and in my community in Stay Road." And just to give you an idea, even those commandos that go home for the weekend, they only get one, you know, magazine of bullets. It's not like they, you know, take right. uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of bullets home. So they're limited against the firepower, which was intense and well-planned. They've been planning this for, as you say, two years, if not two years, one year. The question is, is how could they recruit a thousand people to come into Israel? And we have no clue. Meaning human intelligence is our, our greatest, you know, asset, we like to think. Like, not just, you know, uh, uh, listening in and eavesdropping, because they, obviously they didn't, you know, start WhatsApp groups for this. But uh, how did we not know that a thousand and people were ready to come in and had motorcycles and pickup trucks and golf carts and all these other things and massive amounts of ammunition and RPGs and grenades. 
How do we not know about this? Where were they keeping it? What were they doing? And where were they practicing? So all of this leads to, hey, a lot of people were sleeping on the job here. Where's the leadership? Where's the, you know, and then, you know, what I sort of mentioned, which I didn't finish is the last year has been probably the worst year of my 30 in Israel because we saw that the army's preparedness was crumbling. The entire fabric of society was breaking apart due to this hard right wing, even for some people, partially racist uh, government of people. Most of whom I, I, I think most of the racist racist how Mitchell Barak right. racist how 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 you said racist how how racist in, uh, racist you know, again. look we we have we have uh, uh, Smutrich and Ben Gvir who's uh, uh, Itamar Ben Gvir who's in charge of the police and Batal Smutrich who's uh, the finance minister they come from uh, I mean I believe Ben Gvir was like arrested for terrorism if I believe and and Smutrich for incitement and for making racist comments towards the Israeli Arab community, towards Arabs in general. I mean, so so besides that, it, that it's government which was not looking to unify and they were looking to divide the country, they're all in confidence. I don't think there's one competent minister that I could think of who can do their job. It's a, it's a group of clowns. And, you know, Netanyahu is known for putting in weak people or people that can't do their jobs. And, and, and this is what we got. We got a bunch of people that are not serious. I mean, there's a minister for intelligence. Gila Gamaliel. Really? She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know anything about this. You know, the, the, the transportation minister, where were the buses when this happened? They yelled at her at a cabinet meeting. The train should have been operating by 7 in the morning to get people down south. What happened? The level of people there is not to be believed. So the past year, you know, instead of, you know, the cost of living, it's the highest in the OC, OECD. The gaps, the income gaps between the rich and the poor here are one of the highest in the OECD. We have real economic problems, education as well. And this government was spending 98% of its resources is trying to pass a judicial reform that was not agreed upon by the majority of the citizens here, or that they said that they were going to do with agreement with the other parties, you know, to make it so the Supreme Court could not intervene in government decisions, to, you know. And that's what they were spending their time on, even... Uh, As opposed know, to what, Mitchell? Them. What should they have been spending their time on? Well, 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 security for one. Let, let's take another security issue. Uh, about 200 Israeli Arabs have been murdered this year. That's about double or triple the number that normally is. The number of guns in the Israeli Arab community in towns and villages here is unprecedented. But the government doesn't have a plan for that. Because Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's the internal security minister, hasn't seen that it's a priority. Now, if you're not going to apply the law and make the cities a safer place, and, and you're going to base it on you know people's race level, let's say, or ethnicity, then you have a real problem because then it can spill over into other places. You know, so even that they didn't deal with. None, nothing with the economy and nothing with the army. They were warned, the government was warned again and again by every military expert, every general who used to be in the army, every former head of the Mossad and the the Secret Service, the Shindet, Shabak, that the army is not ready and that we have a very, very uh, much lowered capacity due to the judicial reform where people believe that the country was turning into a dictatorship or going on the path towards dictatorship so that Netanyahu could continue to rule as he wanted without any intervention by the courts. Mitchell, I got to take I have to take a, a quick I have to take a very quick break. I would love you to stay on. I would just like to talk to you about the big question is a simple question is 
what's next? What's next for Israel from a military point of view? And what's next for, for Israel from a political point of view? And the third one is what's next for Israel from someone like you? Mitchell, who, you know, is a wife and has little children and older children. What's life going to be like in Jerusalem and how is it going to change? Um, we're going to take a quick break, folks. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Tonight at 7, Legal Night fires up right on time, just in time for you to have the biggest legal stories of the day brought to you with expertise from legal all-star Imran Ansari and yours truly, Kevin McCullough. That's tonight at 7. In an era where it's tough to know which news outlet to trust, at a time where it's difficult to find facts, not just opinion, there is an oasis in the news desert. It's the Katz Roundtable. John Katzimatidis, the personification of the American dream, who built a multi-billion dollar business empire, talks with some of the nation's top newsmakers who are shaping the news cycle in the city, the country, and the world. Catch the Katz Roundtable every Sunday morning, starting at 8 on AM 970. The Answer. Want more? AM 970 The Answer? Go to am970theanswer.com to listen live. Tune in to podcasts from the shows you missed anytime you want. Learn more about our advertisers. Join the AM 970 Fan Club and sign up for events. am970theanswer.com Hi, it's Arthur Idala. For over 75 years, the Columbus Citizens Foundation has promoted Italian-American culture and heritage and has provided thousands of scholarships to talented Italian-American students who need support to achieve their academic dreams. These scholarships enrich the lives of the rising generation who are destined to be our future leaders. Help make a difference in someone's life today. You can help Columbus Citizens Foundation by visiting www.columbuscitizens.org. These extraordinary students inspire us every day. Their leadership, passion, and pride in their heritage is a winning combination. The scholarships offer them a chance to achieve their goals and be engaged members of their communities. Columbus Citizens Foundation brings the Columbus Day Parade to New York City every year, and you can help them bring a quality education to Italian-American students in need by donating today. Visit their site at www.columbuscitizens.org. My name is Imran Ansari, and I lead the Civil Litigation Division of Idala, Bertuna & Kamins, the preeminent New York litigation law firm. Have you been injured in a construction site accident? Have you fallen from a scaffold, ladder, or height while on the work site? If the answer is yes, then you may be entitled to significant monetary compensation for your injuries. In most cases, the law in New York favors you as the plaintiff if injured in a fall while working on someone else's property. It is important you speak to an attorney right away to make sure your rights are protected. Myself and our team of experienced trial attorneys will never settle for less than what you deserve. We are always ready to go to court to fight for you and seek justice. If you or a loved one have been injured in an accident, don't delay. Call Idala Bertuna and Cammons at 212-486-0011, 212-486-0011, or visit us at idalalaw.com. Idala Bertuna and Cammons, fighting for justice, fighting for you.
Hi, it's Arthur Idala. We've been talking about Plaza College's court reporting program all year long. Well, Plaza College, on behalf of the New York State Court Reporters Association, is proud to announce this year's one-day convention, a Steno State of Mind. A Steno State of Mind is being held at the historic Eastern District Courthouse on Sunday, October the 22nd, from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. in Brooklyn, New York. This full-day event inside the famously historic courthouse will bring members of the court reporting community, working reporters, and students together for six seminars celebrating this high-powered profession. You know what that means? Working court reporters, you will earn six NCRA-approved CEUs and the latest industry insight. For more information and to view the exciting agenda, visit nyscra.org slash 2023 fall convention. Again, register today at nyscra.org slash 2023 fall convention. Get yourself in a steno state of mind. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with lifetime New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala making the case for the city he loves. Here's Arthur. Welcome back to the Idala Power Hour on October the 12th, Thursday night. We are with Mitchell Barak, who's speaking to us from Jerusalem. We have a very, very, very special guest. As you guys know, all week we've we ditched all the other guests that Joan had planned, and we've just been covering on what's going on with Israel for so many reasons. I mean, this is very, very personal to me on many levels, but, uh, you know, primarily on a human level, because the execution, the children, the kidnapping. I mean, I read today in the paper that a father was so happy to hear that his daughter was killed and not kidnapped because the kidnapping would have been worse than the execution. I'm not saying the father is wrong, but to hear those words, it's, it's just it has such a chilling effect. And here in New York, I mean, you know, my Jewish friends are my law partners. I'm you know, I mean, they're family. They're, they're, they're literally there was one year at Christmas Eve in my house, in my Sicilian American house. And this is the truth. There were more Jewish people at my Christmas Eve dinner table than there were Roman Catholic people at my Christmas Eve dinner table. I pride myself on spending Passover with Alan Dershowitz and he spends Easter Sunday with me. And he, I I spend it with his family. My family spends it with his family, and his family spends it with my family. So when I heard this uh, on over the weekend, I was devastated. I am devastated, and I want to thank Joan and our friend Shai Franklin for having such a spectacular guest who's in Jerusalem, who's been there for thirty years. Uh, Mitchell Barak has been—he's an international media advisor. He was for Israeli President Shimon Peres. He was a speechwriter for Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. You know, he gets quoted in in all the biggest newspapers and television shows and radio shows. It's an honor to have him on here. Mitchell, one question I want to ask that I'm very ignorant and naive about is what is gun control like in Israel? In other words, is everyone allowed to have a gun in their house or is it very strict like it is here in New York City? No, it's, it's pretty strict, meaning uh, many, many people can get guns because certainly if they live in the West Bank of the Judean Samaritan community, uh, even in places like Jerusalem or elsewhere, which are considered high risk, you can have a personal gun. But it's not like the United States where you can have 20 guns and ammunition, you know, of 10,000 bullets. You can have one gun, one handgun, and you can have, you know, get 100 bullets a year. So the idea behind that is, is that people will be walking around where they go to work, where they go to synagogue, and they will be able to stop what at this 
this point was a terror attack, meaning someone with a knife, someone with a gun, they'll be able to stop that attack in the street or near their homes if that would happen. And it's, it's worked pretty well because, you know, when there have been attacks in the public, it oftentimes it's someone who has a gun license or that's able to stop that. So is someone, I mean, hypothetically, I'm not asking you to tell me, but hypothetically someone like yourself who works in the media, who has eight children, who lives in Jerusalem, are you able to apply and get a gun license? Oh, I had a gun for 20 years and I got rid of it because just for the reasons you say, I have eight kids at home and I'm not interested. Okay, I I understand. I I get it. And I I, I know I listen, I ascribe I ascribe to the same thing. I have little kids at home and 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 I think here in New York that's I mean here in America I may be wrong, but it's either the first or second yeah. cause of death of little kids is playing with guns. So right. I hear you. Right. And, but if you and, wanted and, to, you know, are you eligible? If you wanted to, yeah, would you be eligible? Probably, but uh, probably, but I don't. Th- I don't think that would change the situation. But what I, what I would like to mention, you know, we we spent the first half of the show talking about the failures, the debacle, the situation. I, I think we now need to separate Israel from you know from up until Saturday to uh, from Sunday because the country is a changed place. The country is a changed place in a number of ways. First of all, we haven't even buried most of the dead. In fact, I, I, I think a lot of them have not been identified yet. The bodies were so mangled or burned or butchered that they're, they're still trying to figure out, you know, who the bodies are. And there were some families, on, uh, you know, in, in these communities that were slaughtered the entire families. So we're, we're still not to the point where we've had massive amounts of funerals. Uh, that will happen probably next week in the next few weeks. Mitchell, just tell our listeners what is the custom, the religious custom, with between death and burial in that time frame typically? The, the religious custom is to bury as soon as possible. So that's not taking place because the bodies have not been identified. I mean, imagine that the group, the Kaddisha, that it has to identify and purify the bodies before burial and, and collect the remains and put them in a bag and put them in a coffin. You know, just from the party alone, there's 260 people, who, 260 bodies. You know, and those and are all those are all yellow, relatively young people who are at this concert. Yeah, relatively young people, and but also spread out. Then you go; they, they just opened the uh, places to the media, the kibbutzim, and they have bodies burned. There's reports of bodies that were butchered, mangled, beheaded, and so forth. Cars that were burned with people inside. So the process of finding them, even they're still going around these places to find them. So that will take, and then after you bury someone, the, the more Mourners sit for seven days. Shiva, anyone from New York probably knows what that is, where you visit the relatives and they, and they talk about the person that passed away and so forth. So we haven't even started that. But Israel has changed fundamentally, obviously, both in terms of people feel that the army and the political establishment, for sure, including the prime minister, has totally failed, totally failed. And, and there will be a day of reckoning. People are not exactly talking about it now because we're still in the situation. We're still in the emergency situation. But Israel has changed from the point of view of the country is mobilized. People are working together. People are doing whatever they can, sending food, sending clothes to soldiers, raising money. The the diaspora community, especially in New York, where people are, are giving, they're pulling into their pockets, they're giving money, they're going to the airport, they're returning to Israel with their soldiers. They are sending aid. They are sending supplies. The outpouring of support between the diaspora communities around the world, and Israel is phenomenal and unbelievable. At the same time, President Biden's statement is probably the most powerful statement of any 
U.S. president ever uh, standing behind Israel. That people were floored by. Secretary Blinken is here today, meaning, and the outpouring of support among European countries and other countries is unprecedented and unequivocal, unequivocal here. So from that point of view, things start to change here in that the entire country is not necessarily letting the leadership do the job, but everyone has picked themselves up off the floor and they are motivated and they are mobilized and they are getting doing what has to be done. And the attitude is great and people's emotional state is as best as it can be. But I have my kids are not in school and they're packing packages for soldiers with socks and underwear and food and others are cooking and people are just joining hands, putting everything to the side and saying, we are going to win here. We have nothing else to do and nowhere else to go. And we're in the fight of our lives right now. So whereas there is fear, there is trepidation, people are dealing with loss. I mean, if I look at my Facebook feed and within a one kilometer radius of where I'm sitting in Arnono, Jerusalem, I have two friends whose kids were both at that party. One is for sure in Gaza, they think. One is still missing. We have uh, soldiers that have been killed uh, and other people that have been missing. So even within our a small, you know, our circle of friends, this is, it's very apparent that people are dealing with tremendous loss and death and people in the hospital. And we're also waiting to see what's going to be up north, meaning is this something that Hezbollah is going to join, Syria is going to join. Already we, uh, Israel, we bombed uh, Syria's airport and Aleppo's airport due to rocket fire that came in from Israel. And then the other question is, is what's going to be in the West Bank? Meaning uh, uh, they're not Hamas, they're mostly Fatah under Abu Mazen. Abu Mazen has yet to condemn this terror attack. I mean, he gave a beautiful anti-Semitic speech recently, uh, which, you know, he didn't walk back. Uh, what's going to be with that? Those people, are they going to get in? And then they're in the, and, and everyone's back of the head is lurking. What about Israeli Arabs? I mean, they're citizens here. There was a time a few years ago when some of them did join in when, when we had an incursion to Gaza. How are they going to react? I mean, they already have the guns, thanks to the inefficiency of our Minister of internal security, Itamar Ben-Gvir, that didn't think it was a problem. People used to say, well, he doesn't mind so much when Arabs kill Arabs. It's when they kill Jews. But now they have the guns, and we haven't done anything about that yet in the year. Well, I, I just read uh, earlier today that Israel has said there will be no humanitarian exceptions to its siege of Gaza until all the hostages are freed. Uh, Mitchell Barak, you've been there for 30 years. You were in the shelters when, when uh, Saddam Hussein was bombing. Do the hostages have any shot here, or is that, you know, is that uh, not a pipe dream? I mean, again, we, we, haven't, we haven't been down that path, and Gilad Shalit was being held for a number of years alive. We, and we had two dead soldiers in, in Lebanon. We traded a thousand terrorists many of whom committed terror attacks again, and scores of people were killed by those people free. So is Israel motivated to do something? Absolutely. I mean, we've never had a case where there have been children captured and held hostage in Gaza, women, men, elderly. I mean, this is a ruthless and evil enemy. So yes, it's a priority. Do I think there will be humanitarian aid? I mean, I think it's some, first of all, there are many people in Gaza who are innocent and who are civilians. And well, that's what I was actually going to ask you. You know, Joan, my producer, said, you know, what about the Palestinian civilians, the guy who's just milking a goat and, you know, got nothing to do with terrorism? He, this is just where he was born. This is just where he raised his family, uh, you know, because yeah, of that's I mean, the, how God, where God put him. Yeah, I mean, they did have elections in 
whatever it was, 2007, and more than 50% of the parliament is Hamas people. And another group is the is Islamic Jihad. So it's not like it's the, it's the you know, Democrats versus the terrorists that, that are in the government. It's it's people that are bent on Israel's destruction. You know, and then, you know, you want to say that there are innocent people? Again, there probably are, and, and certainly children. At the end of the day, when they parade uh, Israeli bodies in the, in the street and they, you know, hand out candies celebrating this raid and people are jubilant, that's, that's a problem. You know, that doesn't evoke sympathy among your average Israeli. You know, when, when we have, you know, wars is, is horrible. And when we, we, when we bomb, when we have to, you know, try and take out terror cells and we bomb buildings in Gaza because, the, you know, a 12-story building ho- holds a Hamas command center on the 8th floor. I mean, we send a missile to the 8th floor and then part of the building may collapse too. You don't see Israelis in Dizengoff Square or on Ben Yehuda Street in Jerusalem, you know, dancing around saying, you know, we killed terrorists even. It's not in our culture. You know, and and this is a culture that as they're killing babies and old people, they're telling us how great Allah is. I feel bad for, you know, the two billion Muslims. If this is who's representing their God, the God of killing babies and killing innocent people. So again, you know, the fact that there's no electricity, no water, it's definitely an extreme measure at this point. But, you know, they've crossed the line. If they want electricity and they want water and they want food, they're going to start letting the hostages out. But, you know, so many of these people who are also in Gaza, among the two million that are there, are also victims of the terror government, which they elected or they allowed to be there. At the end of day, you know, there's terrible destruction that you see in Gaza, but it's like Chicago. And if you've been to Chicago, you can go from building to building and never go outside because the tunnels in downtown Chicago, you never have to go outside in the winter. Well, uh, that that I I didn't know. Is that because of the weather in Chicago? Yeah, in Chicago, eh? (laughs) Chicago, I was in a hotel. I think it was a Hilton hotel. And everywhere I needed to go, I went underground. They have to go out of the building for, you know, you could stay underground for days and days. The stores are underground. The tunnels are underground. They have pedestrian subways everywhere. So Gaza for the Hamas leadership is the same way. They have bunkers, which are very, very deep and underground, and they're prepared for this. So they have plenty of food and water supplies because they knew this was going to happen. So the leadership is, is going to be protected. The leadership is going to be living well. The leadership is not starving. The leadership is not without electricity because they've been stockpiling this for a long time. It's the people that are above ground that are in trouble. And many, many of them have been uh, displaced. And the question is, is, is where are they going to go? It's a terrible uh, crisis that's going on there, for sure, a humanitarian crisis. But there's nothing for us to do as Israelis. You can feel pity for them, for the people that are truly innocent, the people that don't support what they're government is doing. A lot of them did celebrate it. They don't feel good about it. But on the other hand, the problem is, is that the government that they elected, the Hamas leadership and the Islamic Jihad, are terror organizations that couldn't care less about the people they're supposed to represent. They don't even care about their own human lives, let alone the human lives of other people. They just say, okay, you're be martyrs like everyone else. All right, folks, we're going to take one more break with Mitchell Barak speaking to us from Jerusalem. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman, host of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life. Every Sunday night, some of the world's most inspirational and influential people join me to discuss health and wellness, professional development, and personal well-being. They share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Take time for yourself. 
Tune in to Conversations with Joan every Sunday night at 10 p.m. right here on AM 970 The Answer. If you miss a show, be sure to visit our website so you can listen on demand. And while you're there, read our digital magazine and take part in our book club. Visit CYACYL.com. That's CYACYL.com. Hi, it's Arthur Idala, and Bay Ridge Honda is kicking off October's spooky season with scary savings so low, you'll scream. Bay Ridge Honda is your family-owned and operated Honda dealer for over 60 years, serving the five boroughs. You can browse from over 200 new Honda vehicles, like the all-new Honda Civic, CRV, and HRV, ready for you to drive home today. And over 100 certified pre-owned vehicles backed by the Honda True Program at their 2022 President's Award-winning dealership. And right now, get 0% APR financing and zero down payment on select new 2023 Honda models all month long. Plus, receive 50 when you turn in your trade or lease when you purchase your next car with Bay Ridge Honda. Even if you don't buy a car from Bay Ridge Honda, they want to buy your car from you. So visit Bay Ridge Honda at 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. That's BayRidgeHonda.com. These deals are available to qualified buyers. Additional fees may apply. See dealer for details. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. Welcome back to the Idola Power Hour, folks. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. It's just so informative. Mitchell Barak, who is a pollster, strategic communicator, lobbyist messaging expert, and is speaking to us live from Jerusalem about what's going on over there. All right, Mitchell Barak, here's what I want to ask you, too. It's got to do with politics, because you do have your fingers in, in the world of politics, uh, both personally and um, and professionally. Bibi Netanyahu, for the time being, he is safe and secure, and they form this new government that they're going to work together and figure this horrible situation out? This government is a fig leaf, and it shows how unserious Netanyahu is and how immature he is and how he's interested in sticking to his seat for a number of reasons. This is not a national emergency unity government that includes a series of parties. This is him getting together with one party, Benny Gantz's party, which he did, you know, in, in the COVID, in the second, after the second election. It's one party. They've taken five ministries now, and they've made a war cabinet. He hasn't gotten rid of any of the incompetent people that he has, and he hasn't even reached across the aisle to get the other parties in. He hasn't even had meetings with them. He, this is about, he has 64 seats. How can he bolster his position and get some more seats so he has a stronger government so it looks like unity? He should be having Lapita in his government. He should be having Lieberman. Lieberman's party said, we'll support you. We don't want any job. Has he met with Lieberman? You know, Mansour Abbas, the last government, which was the Bennett Lapid government, which was actually an actual unity government across the aisle. You had an Israeli Arab party for the first time. You had the Merits Party, which is a left of center party. You had Lieberman's right wing party and Gantz and Lapid all together in the government and actually working. Of course, they were Netanyahu was able to get some defectors from that party, from, from that government, so that they would call elections and he would be elected, saying that they support terror and Mansour Abbas support terror. Mansour Abbas, Israeli Arab, first Israeli Arab to join the Israel, uh, government here, called a traitor, called 
the terrorists, all sorts of things, came out publicly and said, keeping women and children hostages and elderly is against Islam. They should be released immediately. The other Arab member of Knesset, Ahmed Tibi, came out and said, I'm happy to be a negotiator with the Hamas. Please tell me what to do. Has Netanyahu met with him in any way? Has he supported what he said? Has he tweeted a like to any of that? No. This is not someone that's looking for unity. This is not someone who's working to solve the national problem which he created, the security debacle that he created. His whole career from the start to the finish was how he's an expert on terror. From the time he lost his brother Yoni in Antebi to when he started the Jonathan Institute and Moshe Aaron met him and made him the number two deputy ambassador in Washington to when he was UN ambassador talking about the hijackings, Lockerbie, Pan Am, the AWACS, the Stinger missiles to when he was the deputy foreign minister during the Gulf War when I worked with him for four years, when he was the one on television all the time throughout his career was always about security. It was about the, the Palestinians. It was about the Iranian situation. All of it seems to be a bluff. Because at the end of the day, the biggest terror attack on Israeli and Jewish people since the Holocaust, the biggest security debacle happened on his watch. He's responsible. He's the person that could have prevented it. He's the one that was asleep at the wheel. Wow. All right, Mitchell Park. Let me just ask you before I go, how, that was some powerful words. I'm going to actually have to find someone now to give someone representing Mr. The Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, equal time. Good luck. But um, good luck. Good luck. How, how do you think they're going to blame? They're going to blame it on Gantz. They're going to blame it on Bennett. They're going to blame it on everyone. How do you think? All right. Well, I'll let you know what what, what their defense of him is. How, how do you think this affects American politics? How do you, I mean, you talked about President Biden and how he conducted himself. I got to be honest with you, Mitchell, just so you know, I was thrilled. I actually played seven minutes of his speech on my show. I guess it was Tuesday night. I thought it was so great. I was not surprised that my mayor, our mayor here, Eric Adams, I mean, he was even more forceful than the, you know, he said, I'm not speaking to you as a state senator. I'm not speaking to you as a brother or president. I'm not speaking to you as the chief executive of New York City. I'm speaking to you as your brother, and we are here to fight with Israel. Um, how do you think this affects uh, national politics in the United States of America? Well, I think it's an issue that it seems that Republicans and Democrats can agree on. And I think that's a great start, is that they are coming on the right side of this conflict, which is, you know, protecting Israel, America's greatest ally, protecting civilians, and fighting this evil and this terror. So, you know, from that point of view, you know, I, th I think it will, will be an important unifier. It certainly is for Israel, and it certainly is for, you know, the future of relations between Israel and the United States. And there are many security threats that we're facing in the world. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the Iranian threat, which is a big deal, which also Netanyahu in the last 14 years in office hasn't really done very much to stop, other than talking about it and coming to Congress and sticking it in the eye of Barack Obama. So we haven't really done anything with the Iranian issue. It looked like, the, you know, we're getting closer to Saudi Arabia, but the region here is also, you know, we have Russia and Ukraine. We haven't even mentioned that in this conversation. Well, Mitchell, maybe you could come back on onto the show as I uh, wrap up here on a Thursday night. I do have to ask you a personal, lighthearted question. Do Doing my research, I see that one of the things you like to do is jump rope. Is that accurate? I do. I jump rope. I actually did it yesterday and the day before. I'm a big uh, fan of jump rope, and I'll tell you what the secret is and why. Because, you know, you people talk about a work-life balance, which is the wrong term. It's not a work-life balance, because a balance means you're doing work, and then your life is going down. One is going up, one is going down. You have to find a synthesis. 
So as we mentioned, I have uh, eight kids, and i got to bring those kids to the park or the swimming pool. So I don't get time to really work out. So when I do, like I did, I took them to the park yesterday. I did a 30-minute jump rope workout, and I watched them for every minute while they were on the slides, while they were playing on the seesaw and everything else. So it's a great exercise, especially now when you can't get out of the house or when you have to watch your kids. It's a great exercise. I can't let you go. I have one more question. By the way, I come from a family of boxing, boxers, my great uncles, my grandfather. So jumping rope was standing. And Red, jumping rope for 30 minutes is very, very. Try jumping rope. If you have a jump rope, try jump rope for three minutes. Not straight for 30 minutes. I do okay. 100, 100, 100 jumps at a time, and then I change ropes. I have a quarter-pound rope and a half-pound rope. So between those ropes, I get a very good workout. I didn't even I didn't even know there was a difference. One last question, Mitchell Barak, who's in Jerusalem, yeah. who's been there for 30 years. What is life like immediately? Like, what was it like today for you on Thursday? I mean, are stores open? You said schools are closed. Uh, so, 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 yeah. First of all, I'll say that I am from New Rochelle, New York, and I still have family there. So I'm very familiar with the, with the New York area. I went to Ramaz, which is in Manhattan, a, a Jewish high school. So I'm very familiar with the New York City and uh, Westchester area. It's kind of like a ghost town here, meaning we wake up in the morning, the kids have a Zoom class. You know, my younger ones are in, they have to get on like twice during the day, some kind of Zoom with their other class, which is interesting because they see other kids. I mean, we're sort of prepared for this in that, you know, these kids have been through COVID and coronavirus. You know, we had two years of lockdown, which, you know, I'll also say my kids who are soldiers now, they had their teenage years robbed from them by coronavirus, meaning the in school for two years. They, they, what should have been the best years of their life of, you know, before the Army in high school in 11th and 12th and 10th grade, they were stuck at home and they couldn't go anywhere. And they missed trips and they missed traveling and all that. So we're sort of used to being at home when it comes to these situations to do that. So the kids will get on Zoom. We don't go very far. I'll bring them to the park. The supermarkets are open. Restaurants are not really open. And most stores are not open. So people are at home. You know, if you run your own business, you're in trouble because you don't have an income coming in. If you you know have a store or you're a consultant or you're something else, uh, a lot of projects stop at this point. If you have uh, make money from an Airbnb or you have a hotel or you work in the hotel industry, you have a problem right now. If you Do you think it's the same in Tel Aviv as it is in Jerusalem? Yeah, it's worse in Tel Aviv because they actually actually have active missile missiles coming in and they're going into their bomb shelters. In Ramadan and Petah Tikva, they're going into the bomb shelters. We, we may get to that, meaning we've cleaned out our bomb shelter, we're ready, and we may get to that, whether the rockets come from the north, you know. How close is the bomb shelter to your house, Mitchell? Uh, we have one in our house. We're lucky, but not everyone does. And some people have to go to their stairwells in their apartment buildings, and some people are not. All new buildings from that are built from 1993, thanks to the Gulf War, have to have what's called a safe room in their house. So if you moved into a new apartment anywhere in Israel today that's built after 93, you will have a safe room. Now, what a safe room is, if you have a 12-story apartment building, there's a block of rooms going from the bottom to the top, which is double reinforced concrete, okay? And it has a window that includes a, a window and a door that is steel that is made to withstand a rocket attack as well as a window that is totally sealed if it's a gas attack because that was the fear that you have to have a sealed room. So it has a twofold. One if there's a chemical warhead and one if it's a missile. So people have those rooms and they use them as bedrooms. Meaning most people that have apartments, when you say you have a three-bedroom apartment, one of those bedrooms is 
going to be a safe room. And most people use it as, as a bedroom. Amazing. Mitch, so, I, I learned so much in this conversation. I can't thank you and our fr- friend Shai Franklin enough. Mitchell Barrick is a pollster, a strategic communicator, a lobbyist. He has one foot in America, one foot in Israel, and he's right now in Israel. Thank you so much. This was so enlightening to all of the listeners who are listening on here on AM 970 and listen on all the podcast apps. Uh, we, you know, we really want to know what's what's actually going on there, and, and, and you really provided that to us today on so many different levels. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thank you to the good people of New York who have come out in such solid support for the state of Israel, for the people of Israel, and for the fight against of good versus evil. All right. Thank you so much. This is Arthur Idala signing off tonight on a Thursday evening. It's the Idala Power Hour, live and local. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored by Idala Bertuna and Cammons, PC. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.